Welcome to the Be Electric Podcast, the show highlighting organizations and nonprofits doing good right here in West Michigan. Hello, everyone. My name is Garrett. I'm the marketing director here at Beist Electric on the Be Electric podcast. Today, I'm here with Katie from Safe Haven Ministries. Hello, Katie. Hi, Garrett. Thanks for having me. Of course. How are you doing today? Doing well, yeah. Awesome. Well, first off, thank you so much for joining us. We're happy to have you and hear a little bit more about you and your organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, to start off, first, just tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. So my name is Katie Salyer DeVries. I work in the development department at Safe Haven Ministries. So my official title is annual fund manager. So I'm in charge of things like grants, event planning, donor relations, um, church relations, things like that. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. And do you like it? I love it. It's It's been such a good fit for me. Awesome. Um, professionally and um, personally. Okay. <laughs> it's a really rewarding job. Okay. Um, it fits my skill set really well. I love to write and to talk right. to people and um, tell stories. And so to be able to do that while working for an organization that's doing incredible work in the community is a real privilege for me. Good. How long have you been there? Um, as of Tuesday, exactly a year. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Get that first year under your belt. That's right, yeah. Well, good. so tell me a little bit about Safe Haven. I'd love to just kind of you know, have our, our audience and our listeners just learn a little bit more about uh, the organization. Sure. So Safe Haven Ministries is a comprehensive domestic violence agency here in Grand Rapids. We're on the east side of Grand Rapids behind Pietro's. Okay. Um, so we were founded in 1990 by six area churches. There were six CRC churches. Their social justice committees all came together okay. and identified domestic violence, um, domestic abuse as a problem in the community that um, wasn't being fully addressed. So there are other, um, the YWCA is another domestic violence agency in the area, but they're full to capacity most of the time. And so they recognized that there was still more need in the community. So they formed Safe Haven Ministries. It started out as a shelter with three rooms. (laughs) It was just a house that they bought. Um, From there, we've outgrown, we outgrew that house and then we bought another house that we've also outgrown. And so now we're in a new build and um, that, build so we went from three rooms to seven rooms to 14 so we can now house up to 56 um individuals and their children which is fantastic so going from three to seven to 56 people in one place yeah it's a big jump um but it's been really cool for us um so we're in our 29th year getting ready to kick into year 30 which is an exciting anniversary for us that's awesome Um, yeah it's it's so very cool to see how um the church has um, started this, but that Mm -hmm. it's been taken on by more than just the church. It's not um, limited to um, churches or people who um, identify as religious. It's for anybody. Um, And so that's, that's been really neat. Very cool. So within that organization, do you have certain departments that you, you have or certain sections that do different things? Yes. So we have, we like to say that we have three main programs. So we have a residential program, which is what most people know us as. So we have an emergency safe shelter. So what that means is if a client calls us, um, usually we have a 24-7 hotline. So if they call us or if they walk in um, and they identify that they are experiencing domestic violence, then um, we have to do an assessment with them. And if we discover in that assessment that there's a high chance of a homicide or if they're in some critical danger, Mm. um, then we do everything that we can to get them out of there and into our safe shelter. So that's, that's one program. We also have non-residential services. So when we do that assessment and we find out, um, that emergency safe shelter isn't really a need at the moment, or they have stable housing or they're, um, they've left that relationship and they don't need to get out immediately, then we can do ongoing case management. We can Mm. plug them into, we have cycle educational support groups that we can do. Um, we can, get them some legal advocacy if that's a need. Um, What I really like about Safe Haven is that the client comes first. Um, We aren't there to tell anybody what they need. The survivor is really the expert in their own story. Mm. And so with that, we try to work with them to see what goals they have. And then from there, connect them to resources and educate them so that they can make the best decisions for themselves. 
Um, so that's what we get to do a lot through the non-residential program. Okay. Um, and with both of those programs, once a client's um, with us, they're a client for life um, for okay. as long as they need to be. Um, so that could be they come in for a couple of sessions and then we don't hear from them, or it could be they stay in shelter and we don't hear from them for years and then they come back and they want some additional support. Um, however, it needs to look. It's really client dependent. Awesome. Yeah, which is really cool. And then um, because we know that domestic violence doesn't just pop up. <laughs> like sure. One of my coworkers likes to say that no one just wakes up and thinks, oh, today's a really good day to beat my partner. Sure. Like that doesn't come out of nowhere. There are social norms that reinforce that and justify that behavior. Mm -hmm. And so we know that to help mitigate that and to lessen that societal um, justification that we have to do some education. So we have a prevention education program that goes into schools, health and human services, um, workplaces, churches, and talks about what is domestic violence, what are some of the warning signs, um, and how do you support survivors or friends, family who are in situations like that? And how do you connect them to us if they need that? All right. And you guys have space at your new build that allows people to come to you to learn, right? So. Correct. Yeah. So the other cool thing about building your own facility. Um, so we have part of the new facility is the emergency safe shelter. And then the other part is the rest of our services. So that's the prevention and education. So we have an on-site training room that we can use um, that we used actually just a couple days ago for a lunch for faith leaders. Um, awesome. So we can have, we can host lunches, we can do larger trainings, smaller trainings, whatever it needs to look like there. And then we have the non-residential services upstairs as well. Um, that's been really cool too, because with the psychoeducational groups, we previously did that. Um, I should say that before this new build, we weren't all in one campus. Mm. We had two separate locations. So we had our administrative, non-residential prevention and education in one building that was a lease. And then we had a residential house <laughs> that was our safe shelter. Okay. So with this new build, we combined all of those into one. So that's allowed for a lot of cross collaboration with staff, which has been very helpful. So if someone has a question on residential, they now don't have to hop in their car or get on the phone. They can just walk over and ask mm -hmm. it, which has been really helpful. Um, and with those support groups, so we used to have a support group in residential and then a separate one for non-residential but because we all are in one space together then we can have all of those clients come together and build those relationships um support each other in those moments and so that's been really cool too that's awesome yeah so i think a lot of people think about your shelter first right you yeah. know that's kind of what you've grown to become your your number of beds you kind of hinted at that you mm -hmm. know for, seven to 54 um is that right 54 yeah 54 beds i think there was so we went to, from seven rooms to 14 rooms okay and the old i think with pack and plays we could fit like 28 people okay <laughs> <the old> shelter, <laughs> so we went from 28 to 56 which is okay so you guys thing. doubled yes okay very done. cool so you kind of hinted at those non-residential services mm -hmm. um how do how do people get plugged in with those non-residential services because I feel like, you know, with an organization like yourself, if if the goal is or if if the first understanding is um, I'm in trouble, I need to go and get out and, and, and go somewhere because um, I'm not safe. Mm -hmm. You know, you could you could fall into just being a residential facility. Right. I, I need to escape. I need to go here. Um, how do people know that they can contact you about non-residential issues, right? Because yeah. maybe they don't need to leave their environment, yeah. but maybe they just want more education. Can you talk about that process? Yeah, so that um, we found that most clients find us through word of mouth. Okay. And that's whether they need shelter or not. Um, and we also have a lot of people that just Google domestic violence services. Um, that's been really interesting as we've put google analytics on our website and okay. found where all of our traffic is coming from and it's usually just a google search <laughs> and they may not know what they need unless that is an immediate need for them okay and so um we do we go out into the community and we do these prevention education um events and trainings to not only um reinforce the positive social norms but also to tell people that we're available sure. <laughs> and that we're not just a shelter um, because people do think of us that way oftentimes. Okay. Um, but we do have all sorts of um, resources that we connect clients to. So we have 
Um, we work closely with Legal Aid of West Michigan. So they provide, typically provide services um, at a lower cost for individuals, but for um, the partnership that we've forged, it's a lawyer who's, um, her speciality is domestic violence. And so she provides all of those services for free. Oh, so wow. she comes in once a month and provides legal counsel, whether that's a personal protection order or um, custody law, divorce law, whatever it needs to look like. Um, and then she can go with clients to court appointments. We have advocates who do that as well. Okay. Um, and so we, we've had those partnerships. We've worked now for 29 years to establish ourselves as experts in the domestic violence field, but there aren't, we aren't necessarily experts in every field. And so we sure. try to partner with other agencies. Like um, we also have a partnership with Goodwill, um, their Achieve program to help with employment opportunities and employment training, career services that clients might need if that's identified. Or we also have um, Mercantile Bank comes into our support groups a couple times, usually during um, an eight or nine week cycle. And they talk about um, what do you do if you've been financially abused? Um, that's that's also a common, yeah. um, we find that's a common factor in a lot of um, our clients' stories. Mm. And so how do we, um, how do we talk about credit and rebuilding and um, what do you do if your credit's been destroyed by an abuser? What if you weren't allowed to work so you have no work history? Sure. How do you build these things back up so that you can be fully independent? Mm. Um, and so those those partnerships are really critical to what we do. Yeah. <laughs> and we've, we've also identified recently that um, transitional housing is a big need. And so we're okay. working on forging more partnerships with other community partners to make sure that that's a met need <laughs> instead right. of um, we'd really prefer clients to be in transitional housing or housing of their own as opposed to exiting back to family or friends because mm -hmm. um, that's that's not a long-term solution usually right. um, and so we try to as much as possible connect them to other community resources so we sit on the coc which is the continuum of care mm. that's a hud organization so the housing yep. department um, to make sure that for people who are experiencing domestic violence who enter through the housing and not necessarily through us, that they're well connected mm. and that there aren't as many barriers or if those barriers are identified that they can get the resources they need to have that housing. Okay. Talk to me a little bit. You, you just kind of mentioned, uh, you know, exit, exiting from uh, residential housing, you know, what that looks like. Mm -hmm. I know that you have stats of, you know, this percentage, you know, goes here, this percentage finds, you know, family, friends, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's even percentage that go back to their abuser potentially. Talk to me a little bit about how you're working on um, changing that. In, and it sounds like through education, mm -hmm. it sounds like through partnerships in the community, um, how are, how is Safe Haven growing to help that transition become smoother or, or more sure. stable? Yeah, so I think it's it's definitely evolved over the years um, because Grand Rapids is in its own housing crisis. Sure. Um, that crisis can become even more heightened for someone who's experiencing additional barriers like domestic violence. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've worked hard to make sure that we're um, talking to our clients, that we know exactly what those barriers are and how we can best advocate for them, um, especially within those um, systems. So we're we're working especially with community builders, rebuilders, community rebuilders at the moment to try and make um, a partnership. We're working on funding for a partnership where they would have a housing specialist and we would have a housing specialist who are both experts in domestic violence oh, who can then go into those situations when um, when a client is seeking housing that's transitional or a new apartment um, through community builders, rebuilders. And um, maybe they've had a previous eviction, but it wasn't necessarily their fault. Maybe mm. it was their abuser who went through and trashed the place before mm -hmm. they were able to say, hey, that's <laughs> it's not okay. Right. Um, or if they had poor credit history, but that was also again due to an assailant maxing out credit cards, um, things that at first glance, look really bad to a landlord that uh -huh. we can if we can step in and say hey this is the situation this is why this is existing if we can do some community education with the landlords as well and then 
through that advocate for the client so that they can get the resources that they need and to get fully back independent and free from violence. That's that's really awesome because I think a lot of times when you think of domestic violence, you think of physical abuse. And that's the if if your your partner isn't physically hurting you or there's not bruises or there's no signs of, you know, physical trauma, then it doesn't count, right? You know, right, count right. in quotations, you know, to say, well, are you really suffering from domestic violence? When in turn, what Safe Haven is working on and, and working in the, in the community and, and building partnerships is that domestic violence is more than just physical abuse, right? There's the mental side of things. There's the, like you were just hinting at, you know, maxing out credit cards. Mm -hmm. You know, some may not see that as part of that bigger picture, but what I guess it's fascinating to hear that Safe Haven is taking a step back and realizing that these are all the things that happen within a abusive relationship and here's how we can help, right? right? Is that kind of, you know, the the picture that or the lens that you guys are looking through yeah and i think another place where we can step into that is especially with spiritual abuse too so we're one of the i think we're the only faith-based domestic violence agency in michigan um, and one of just a handful in the nation and so that's a place where we can step in where maybe others can't um because spiritual abuse it is um does often occur if someone is Christian or religious, um, Mm. especially with using the Bible or theology to justify abuse. Mm, um, That's a place where we can step in and say, no, (laughs) no, that's not the case. Um, Or um, that we could just speak into those situations and then to educate the church too. So I, I briefly mentioned that we do like a church certification program. So with that, we, we take, um, churches at the moment from all denominations and all over the place. We actually have upcoming, our director of prevention and education is going to New York in November okay. to certify 10 churches there. Wow. They reached out to us. Um, so this is, this is a curriculum that's really taking on okay. um, that not just the Grand Rapids community is recognizing is sure. valuable outside organizations are too. So we, um, we actually presented that curriculum at the national conference at, for the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence in DC okay. in September, okay, and, very cool. which was very cool. Um, but part of that curriculum, so it's two main things. It's a one day intensive training on what is domestic violence? How does that play out in church spaces or religious spaces? What does that look like? Um, and then how can we as a church support the survivor and also create accountability for the assailant because they're usually both present Mm. in that space. Um, And then past that one day training, because we don't want it to be a one and done sort of thing, we also have policy making that goes into that. So we want to make sure that this isn't just a one and done. We want to make sure that there are policies and procedures in place that protect the survivor, (laughs) not just while the church is thinking about it, past this training, but also in the future. So that if this happens again and when it happens again, that they're protected. So if if there's churches out there listening or different members of churches who may have a you know known of people within their church who have gone through this, mm-hmm. how can they how can they connect with Safe Haven to say, I would really like our church to become certified? or our church to start partnering with Safe Haven? What what would that look like? Yeah, so absolutely. So they can, um, I would encourage them to call us or to email us. um, Our email is info at shmgr.org and just ask about church certification or what trainings there are for churches. We do um, not only those trainings, but we also have um, one-offs with youth groups. If that's of interest, um, we value the education over just our programs. And so we can be flexible within that. Um, We recognize that it may not be an appropriate fit for everyone, um, but we wanna make sure that we can speak into those spaces where we are invited, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you kind of just mentioned youth programs. Talk to me a little bit about, I know that, you know, when we had the opportunity to to visit your space, you talked a little bit about teen uh, domestic violence prevention, kind of talking a little bit about education of, you know, when our, you know, when the youth or the community of, of young kids or children are growing up, how do we educate them 
sooner, you know, about what um, what this looks like or what uh, what a good relationship entails. Right. Can you talk to me a little bit about that kind of program? Or? Sure. So we have a teen dating violence prevention program. I think this year we're in 17 schools in 10 different districts districts throughout the Grand Rapids area. Um, and those are to both middle and high schools. So we, we take the concepts of, um, we talk about warning signs in a relationship. We talk about what does dating look like um, on the middle school and high school level, because we recognize that it happens in both. Hmm. Um, whether parents always recognize that or want to think about that or not, sure. <laughs> that's, that's a different story. Yep. Um, but we know that that's happening and we need to be speaking into those spaces. And so, um, for the high schoolers, we talk about what is a healthy relationship? What are those things that you'd like to see in a relationship? Um, what are some red flags that a relationship isn't going well? Um, one of the other types of abuse that isn't often talked about but happens a lot in the teenage space is technological abuse. Mm. And so we want to make sure that kids understand what that is and what healthy technological <laughs> dating mm -hmm. looks like. Um, so. Um, abuse for that sector usually looks like um, asking for nude photos or um, demanding that the um, the victim give all of their passwords or all or their GPS location to the assailant um, that they know where they are at all times so they mm. can control them um, more so. It's a lot of that. a lot of control yeah. aspects as far as technology goes. Yeah, so okay. domestic violence is really based in one person's want for power and control are over the other and so teaching not only adults but kids mm -hmm. <laughs> that concept so that as they grow up and as they're learning what what is dating what does that what do healthy relationships look like that we're there and talking about that immediately mm. um, and so for middle school we talk more about consent and what does that look like um, what is again a healthy relationship what do you want to see in a healthy relationship and then how can you support your friend if you see something that's not looking good mm. um making sure that you're you believe someone if they tell you that something bad has happened to you because <laughs> mm -hmm. that's really the most important part even right. as these teenagers grow into adults is that we believe them when they tell us this mm. um and so making sure that those protective factors are in there mm -hmm. um, especially with these kids as they grow up sure um, and beyond the teen dating violence program we also have a young leaders against violence program so that's um that's primarily high schoolers who um who are advocates against um sexual assaults or teen dating violence and so they that is a youth-led group they get to decide what they want to do and how they want to promote it so they usually uh, meet with policymakers in Lansing and talk about these issues. Um, they usually have some sort of a film screening and talk about that deals with this topic and that they can have a panel discussion with afterwards or some sort of awareness campaign at their high school with pins or buttons that sure. they can just start these conversations okay. and continue them. So if, you know, the there's two sides, I guess, to, to this question. If if parents are listening and, you know, their their children are in relationships, is there... Are there resources in which, uh, you know, they can provide to their their children? And then on the other side, is there are there resources or, or ways for teens to reach out or friends of teens in relationships? Where I guess where can they find more info? Yeah, so I would I would encourage them to talk to us. Um, so we do um, we have a lot of partnerships in the community. So a couple of our staff members on the prevention education team also serve on what's called SAPAT, Sexual Assault Prevention Action Team. Okay. <laughs> and so um, SAPAT recently has done a lot of really good education for parents specifically, talking about bullying, talking about teen dating violence, all of these harder topics. And those are spaces specifically for parents um, without the kids in the room necessarily, um, just to make sure that the pressure is off from the kids sure. and off from the parents so that yeah. we can have an open, honest conversation. Um, but yeah, I would recommend that they check out our website too. We do have some information on what is our curriculum. Um, we have information on who to reach out to and how to talk about these sort of things. Um, okay. Cause we'd love to get people plugged in talking about having these hard conversations outside yeah. of just the school space. We'd love for them to happen in the family space too. And are those classes free or is there generally a, like a cost or registration those, for those? Those SAPAC classes are free. Okay. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So You've been at Safe Haven for a year. Correct. Uh, again, congratulations. Thanks. 
I'd love to to hear, I guess, what is something that's been really challenging for you or maybe something that you weren't aware of going into the industry or the, the nonprofit field or organization to say, like, I really care about this topic. I really care about these individuals and to help them and to believe them. Um, but this has been really tough or this is something that maybe when people think about domestic violence, they don't really think about this and it's really, it's challenging. Yeah. Is there something that, that comes to mind? Yeah, I think, especially when I started, I was just really struck by the prevalence of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because domestic violence is typically a silent issue. It's something that we, um, we relegate to just homes that doesn't happen. That doesn't trickle into other spaces. Um, but we know that one in four women and one in seven men will experience some sort of um, domestic violence in their lifetime. And that's, that's staggering. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so many people. And that 15.5 million children are in homes where they witness or experience domestic violence. That is horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so to see all of these trickle down effects, I think was really astounding to me. And it still is when I pause and think about it, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, And so that's why I think it's so cool that we're in these spaces with, especially with kids. I think that's, that's, I think usually the most gut-wrenching is that Mm. there are all these kids who didn't ask for any of this, um, but are are part of these experiences and will experience trauma because of it usually. Um, So I think that's, that's what's been really cool to see how Safe Haven handles even our youngest clients. Um, So we have a lot of children's programming that specifically talks about how to handle these feelings that the kids are feeling. Um, Because those are hard enough to unpack as an adult who's experienced trauma. But um, to have a kid who doesn't really know what's going on in the world, isn't fully necessarily fully aware of the situation, but just knows that something is wrong Mm. and is frustrated and is really worried for one of their parents um, because dad is hitting mom um, or whatever that situation looks like. Um, And so to have, we have a program called I Feel Better Now that focuses in, I think on seven to 13 year olds in particular who uh, have been removed from um, the situation or they're no longer with the assailant, living with the assailant. And um, with that, we, our advocates do a really good job of talking about what are these feelings that you're feeling? Um, so we don't necessarily always do a good job of identifying our feelings. We like to say like happy, sad, all the generalized ones, but what sure. do you do with anxiety? What if you're frustrated? And then um, what do those emotions look like for those kids? And then when they experience them, how do they cope with it? Um, so giving them the space to talk about these things, <laughs> right. to say like, I'm really scared for mom and I can't stop thinking about this. Mm. So, okay, we're going to figure out a way for you to put your worry somewhere else. Okay. Um, let's give you, um, or to have kids take really deep belly breaths so that they can focus more on their breathing in that moment instead of on the matter at hand, things like that. Um, so just, it's very cool to see how they're giving kids the tools and to help them heal. Um, and then to have, um, I think a while ago, or maybe before I started, there was a kid who sent in like $5 and said, hey, I went through the I feel better now experience. Can you please tell the kids who are in it now that it gets better? Like, oh, that's thank awesome. you for what you did for me. Yeah. <laughs> so like hearing stories like that um, is just really, really cool to know that what our advocates is doing are doing is very, very important. Um, yeah. No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, really cool. that's fantastic. And I know that you guys are that, I know that Safe Haven has in their residential space, you know, areas for children and areas for them to uh, run around and Mm -hmm. there's space. And I think for maybe a lot of kids that space was restricted or maybe they didn't feel comfortable to to dance or to run or to play. Um, Talk to me a little bit about the the. I guess, initiatives that you guys have. I know that you're hoping to build a playground. Um, I know that you have, you know, a space where, you know, the kids that aren't yet in the residential area can sit and learn. Mm -hmm. I guess, talk to me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So with the playground, especially we're getting ready 
when we when we moved into this facility, we wanted a playground as part of that. Um, that didn't immediately happen, um, and so we're we're now working to design that playground. What does it look like for us? Um, so our residential and our our whole facility is ADA accessible, and so we know that that's a need, and so we want our playground to reflect that as well. So that with that comes some special design considerations that are taking a little longer than anticipated. Um, but we want to do this well. Um, and I think that's, with that, it's not just making it accessible, it's also making space for our the parents and the kids to come together and to heal together, to reestablish that bond that they may not have had at home because home wasn't safe. Um, and so doing that through play is a really easy way to do it. Um, and so kind of um, allowing time and space for um, parents to reconnect with their kids in, a playground or even just having our our space now where we do um, having trauma-informed design as part of that so lots of lots of windows lots of natural light lots of calming colors um, trying to make the space feel as physically welcoming as it can we don't want it to feel um, we don't want anyone to be put off by the space right. um, or for that to be a barrier and so we try to make with this building, we've really tried to make that welcoming as well so that like, mom can do a puzzle with her kid um, and she never had the time or felt safe enough to do that. Mm. Um, so that's that's really cool. Um, what other initiatives do we have going on? Yeah, I know you guys, you had kind of said that, well, now that you have the, the new building, you know, you've been able to pursue new partnerships, yes, right? And yes. you kind of hinted at that, you know, first Mercantile Bank or just Mercantile Bank, excuse me, mm -hmm. Goodwill, Legal Aid, the Hispanic Center. Mm -hmm. um, I guess talk to me a little bit about the other orgs that you're you're partnering with, because you sure. had said this earlier that you're becoming the expert in DV or domestic violence, but you can't be the expert in everything. Right. So yeah, what what does that those partnerships look like? Yeah, so we back in May we hired a bilingual advocate. So she's um, she's done a fantastic job so far um, forging relationships with um, the Hispanic and Latinx community. Um, so we know um, just because you build a building doesn't mean that people will necessarily come to it. Um, especially marginalized communities, those are relationships that you have to form, that's trust you have to build. Um, there may be additional cultural barriers um, that would prevent someone from wanting to come or from feeling safe coming. And so we're doing our best to forge those relationships and make sure that those are in place so that if crisis happens, that they feel safe and that they can come to us in that moment of need. Because okay. um, we have a really vibrant refugee Okay. and immigrant community here in Grand yeah, Rapids. Yeah, we and do. we know that um, those individuals are experiencing domestic violence just like anyone else is in this community. And um, if you're an immigrant or if you're concerned about your legal status, then those are some additional barriers mm. that may be used against you. Sure. Um, and so we want to make sure that everyone feels safe, um, that we can not only make our place a place of safety, but that we are making pockets within the community that are places and safe havens for all. Um, and so with that, we also have um, some community support groups as well. So we have the support groups who meet at Safe Haven on a weekly basis, but we also have those non-residential groups out in the community. So we have one at the Al-Anon in, I think, North Kent County, okay. um, and as well as Mel Trotter Ministries, there's one there. We're also starting one at Alpha. Um, women's center for Grand Rapids. So making sure that there are spaces in all sorts of places that are safe um, because there may be transportation issues coming to us. Um, there may be the survivor may not have a phone or have um, or maybe watched by her assailant and can't physically travel. Mm. Um, and so making sure that we are aware of all of these barriers and that we're taking measures to lessen them as much as we can. Um, and with that, we've also received our first federal funding. Congratulations. <laughs> um, thank you. So um, that's going to further our partnerships in the community as well. So we will be partnering with HQ and they're a homeless and youth runaway um, center here in Grand Rapids. And so we'll be doing some peer-to-peer -peer education with them. Um, Very cool. 
to help build these protective factors around individuals who are especially vulnerable, um, especially youth, um, and especially because a lot of the youth at HQ identify as LGBT. Mm. And so we want to make sure that um, that because those are those can be additional barriers to them, we want to make sure that they are well equipped and well educated, and that they they also know what healthy relationships look like and um, how to find the resources to help. Um, with that, we also have a gender reading initiative, gender equality reading initiative that we're starting, which I'm very excited about. That. Um, so that's with the Grand Rapids Public Library and with um, Books and Mortar. That's a bookstore here in Grand Rapids and Moms of Preschoolers. Okay. And what we're going to be doing with that is creating um, age-appropriate curricula, I think K through 12, to um, be able to distribute that at libraries, at the MOPS group, at the bookstore, and start um, reading groups and discussion on like what does consent look like? Even we don't want to think about that necessarily with a kindergartner, but that's uh-huh. something that we need to consider. That's something we need to start early. Sure. Um, and we also know that literacy is a big protective factor. Um, uh-huh. So if we if we help these communities who have additional barriers, if we help them with literacy and we help we start talking about these important topics, then these um, these can really help lessen their risk as they grow up. Right. Um, and so we want to make sure that they are as well equipped as they can be as they move into adulthood. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, again, you know, it's, it's nice to hear that because you're in a space that is no longer a worry, you can now go out into the community. You can now mm-hmm. be present at libraries or start building out curriculum and you know really focus on the education part versus where are we going to put all of these individuals right. so it's yeah. it's really nice to hear and, and as part of that those initiatives talk to me a little bit about your goals in the next three to six months you know i know that you guys are growing um, i know that in the spring you guys you have your annual campaign as well to kind of focus that you know that 2020 budget or that 2020 mm-hmm. goals talk to me in the next you know we're in October here in the next three to six months. What does that look like? What are you gearing up for? Right. So we moved into that new facility December of 2018. So we're coming up on a full year in that facility. So when we doubled and combined everything, (laughs) that added a lot of expenses. And um, mainly personnel. I know that's not a flashy thing to talk about. People don't usually want to support keeping your lights on or paying your employees, but that's really the bulk of what we do. Um, and in moving to this new facility, our from this past fiscal year to this current fiscal year, our budget jumped by 21%. Okay. So that's a lot more fundraising that you have to do, really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but that's really to support our staff so that they can be there. Um, we have the 24-7 hotline. We have to staff that. Um, we have walk-in hours Monday through Friday, 8 to 4.30. Um, staff have to be present for that. Right. Um, keeping our lights on, <laughs> all those good things, cleaning our toilets, mm-hmm. things you don't want to have to think about. But those are really our needs at the moment. Okay. And so we want to make sure that um, before we because we have all of these exciting initiatives and these opportunities for growth, we want to make sure that we take care of, that we take care of ourselves and that we are sustainable so that we can take full advantage of those and that we're not jumping on things that aren't sustainable. So our goals for the next three to six months are really to um, continue those relationships that we've built through this 5.5 capital, 5.5 million capital campaign um, to really continue those relationships um, and to invite new people to the table, really. Um, just to make sure that for the next three years that we can sustain what we've what we've built, really. Right. Um, that's really important to us. And then once we've sustained that, then where do we go from here? Because there's mm. so many places that we can go and that's so exciting to me. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So as you, you have this new space and you know, yes, there are those those needs from a, a monetary aspect to keep the lights on and to keep staff. Are there other ways for those listening or watching to to give or to uh, to contribute to Safe Haven? Is there, I guess, talk to me a little bit about those avenues. Yeah, so we we are always in need of volunteers. <laughs> okay. Um, so 
with those psychoeducational support groups, we always provide childcare for free and that's staffed by volunteers and led by a couple of our staff. And so doubling our capacity meant doubling the number of kids <laughs> in that group. And so childcare has been a big need. So we have those groups usually twice a week, but we've also added a respite time on the residential side okay. um, where kids can go do their programming with some volunteers and staff. Um, and mom can mom or their parent can just breathe <laughs> and get some paperwork done if they need to, just take a shower. Um, just a time of peace. <laughs> Good. Um, is there any, um, you know, is there anything that volunteers may need to know uh, as far as, you know, what days or what hours can they just volunteer once? Or is it something where you're looking for a weekly volunteer or a weekly uh, need for, for people? What does that look like? Yeah, so we do have some one-off volunteer projects occasionally. We get a lot of donations, so we need those sorted. Um, just some general cleanup of our property um, or one-off projects. We've got the, build, the building of a playground coming out, so that's probably going to be some volunteer hours. Um, but we do really need those consistent volunteers to either work the front desk, answer phones, um, watch kids. We do very thoroughly vet and train our volunteers. Um, so it's not really a small commitment. We want to make sure that the people who are um, watching these kids really understand what domestic violence is and how that can impact a kid. Um, we want to make sure that they're fully equipped when they do this job. Mm. And so it's, there is a significant training commitment. And then we, we do prefer that volunteers stick with us for at least six months. Okay. Um, that's usually what we ask up front. But within that, we're very flexible, whether that's um, I can serve once a month um, or Mondays are my good days. What do you mm -hmm. need coverage for? We're very flexible within that. No, that's awesome. And it's, and it's good to hear a for, for all the individuals that are in your residential space or who that visit that their volunteers that you do are educated, right? You right. don't want someone to just walk off the street and be volunteering because yeah. <laughs> it incurs risk. Right? right. And and it's also for those listening, if it's something that's near to their heart or their family and they want to, to give back to the community because mm -hmm. maybe someone gave back to them, this may be a really good avenue to do so. Right. Um, you know, maybe you can work with kids. Maybe you like to work with your hands. You can build a playground. Yeah. There's, there's opportunity, right? Yeah. Is there a certain area on the website or a certain number they should call the volunteer um so they can call our general line or which is 616-452-6664 or they can go to our website which is shmgr.org slash volunteer um there you can see all of the different descriptions for the positions that we need um you can apply there online we do ask for references so you have to fill out an application and go through that process but that's where you can find all that awesome so in addition to your new space, in addition to your volunteers, in addition to, you know, all of the things that you're working on, partnering with churches. Um, is there anything else that, you know, people should know about Safe Haven? Or is there anything that is, you know, hey, this is also a really cool thing that we're working on, or this is something that's near and dear to you? Mm -hmm. uh, I guess, I, you yeah. know, the floor is open. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the other exciting places that we're really starting to um, to recognize and to tap into the potential of is corporate. Um, so we do, we have a Safe Haven Works program where we go into um, corporate offices, workplaces, and talk about what is domestic violence and what impact does that have in the workspace. Um, people don't necessarily think, because it's, again, a home issue and that doesn't happen at work and we don't need to think about that or worry about that, but that is something that your employees will go through. Like, it's, it's going to be an issue at some point, and so we mm. need to prepare them to make sure that they can support survivors as they need to. Um, we know that a lot of harassment happens at the workplace. Um, a, a former assailant or a current assailant may be calling their victim nonstop, maybe mm. um, waiting out in the parking lot. So we need to make sure that there are supports in place um, and that just that workplaces are aware that this is an issue. Um, I don't remember the exact figure, but it's it's a lot of money that's spent and a lot of missed time mm. from work whenever an incident of domestic violence occurs where it's physical. Um, that's a lot of 
there may be a lot of misunderstandings if someone's missing work because they've been physically assaulted um, mm. or a lot of things that may be the survivors trying to cover up because they don't feel comfortable saying. Okay. Um, and so just making those workplaces a safe place too. And so um, to kind of further our work in there and to also bring on board more businesses in the area, we've started a corporate committee that we're mm -hmm. really excited about. Um, and so that's not everybody's wheelhouse, but um, our director of development, that is that is her wheelhouse. And so she's very excited Good. to really educate businesses and then to get them on board with what we're doing. Um, another way that um, we often see businesses give back um, or not only businesses, but local um, friend groups, um, local clubs or running club or um, all sorts of different smaller organizations or groups. Um, they can give back through giving to us in kind. We not only need monetary donations, but we also need things to keep our shelter running to help offset our costs. And so we rely pretty heavily on donations. Um, and that can look like either we have um, need for yearly pantry drives. <laughs> There's a lot of food that we yeah. consume when we have up to 56 beds full at once. Um, and so there's a lot of self shelf stable goods that we need on a monthly basis. So we try to have two partners per month. Um, so that's a really good place for businesses, churches, um, local clubs to get plugged in. Okay. Um, if that's, if they like doing drives for that, I know that's yeah. really a common thing. Um, and we also have upcoming, we have a campaign that's about to start called Home for the Holidays. Okay. And with that, what we're going to do is restock all of our winter items in particular. So there, with doubling this capacity there, we've found that things run out a lot faster. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and so there's been a greater need for, especially as we're hitting, hitting into winter, is um, winter coats. Um, kids need snow pants, um, waterproof gloves, hats, scarves. Um, they want to go outside to recess, but they probably don't have a pair of snow pants when they come into shelter. Hmm. So making sure that the kids are fully able to participate and that they're ready for the Michigan winters. Okay. <laughs> um, but we also, whenever a client comes into shelter, we try to provide them with a clean set of clothes. And so we have a, a pretty big need right now for t-shirts and leggings and pants. Um, for kids, we try to provide them with a new pair of PJs. Okay. So we have a lot of different ages and a lot of different sizes that we need. Yeah. Um, and so that's another way that people can get plugged in if they're, especially as we come into the holidays. I know a lot of companies like to give back sure. um, or find ways to get plugged in. And this is a really good opportunity, I think, for them. Okay. And I know that you guys shared your wish list with us, you know, and it has all of the things that you just listed and more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, Lots of diapers. And that can be found on the website too. Is there Correct. any anyone specific that someone should call or reach out to um, in regards to like uh, clothes or or I guess shelf stable donations? Yeah, so they can they can definitely reach out to either myself or they can reach out to um, I recommend our shelter coordinator Wardell. Um, and to get our contact information, you can just call the main line, which is 616-452-6664, and we'll definitely get you whatever wish list items you need. Or if Perfect. you have specific questions about donations you'd like to give, then we can definitely provide some okay. answers there. So it seems like if there's any, you know, if, if there's any way in which you can get plugged in or uh, connect with Safe Haven, it's just best probably to call and, and mm -hmm. you guys will kind of take care of who they need to talk to. Yep. And then, you know, emailing is, is generally a good way to go from there. Mm -hmm. Cause we also want to make sure that you're not getting, a, you know, 10,000 calls a day, you know, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, know to, to stock that. So, um, is there anything else about the home for the holidays campaign? I know that's kind of something you're launching here in the next couple months. Mm -hmm. Is there anything other, you know, our listeners or viewers should, to, should know about, um, or any sort of you know call to action as far as how how they can help. Yeah, so I would definitely encourage everyone to go check out our website, um, which is shmgr.org/home-for-the-holidays. Um, that link in particular has all of the different items that we need from that winter-specific wish list, um, and it also has a donation page that really breaks down what those different amounts support, um, so that you can really see 
what your money does, what impact it has on the lives of the clients that we serve. Um, so you can see if you give, oh shoot, I probably shouldn't say these levels. I don't remember them. That's fine. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I would definitely encourage them to check out the website. I think that's a great place okay. to start. No, wonderful. Is So, I mean, it's been a a lot to take in, right? You know, I think that what Safe Haven Ministries does is is fantastic. And I think it's it's really great to hear that this organization and all the good things they're doing for our community and mm-hmm. in our community mm-hmm. and that the good is being recognized outside our community, yeah. right? You you know, you've been in DC, you know, churches from New York are contacting this, right. you know, organization in Grand Rapids. <laughs> so I think it's really uh, encouraging and I, it's exciting to to hear about it. And I know that we just touched kind of the tip of the iceberg sort right. of deal, right? There's a lot that you do and there's a lot of ways that our listeners and viewers can get plugged in. Mm-hmm. I think the best way, you know, to go to the website, it's shmgr.org. Correct. And from there, you'll find out a little bit more information. Uh, you can talk to Katie if you need to, mm-hmm. or she'll help direct you to the right people. Katie, is there anything else that you wanted to chat about? Is there anything else our, our viewers should know? Um, not that I can say. Just that we really rely on the entire community, um, not only for support, but also to help spread this education so that we hopefully work ourselves out of a job someday <laughs> to make our communities really safe havens for everybody so that we're not just the only safe haven. That's awesome. Well, I think that kind of wraps up the the conversation. Yeah. Um, again, I really appreciate you coming on yeah. uh, to the Be Electric podcast and we're excited to to share and for people to really know who you are and know more about Safe Haven Ministries. So thank you, Katie. Thanks, Garrett. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Does your organization help others here in Michigan? We would love to hear from you. Let's chat about how Beist Electric can help highlight your story and the good you're doing. Contact us by visiting www.beistelectric.com backslash podcast. Subscribe and rate your listening experience so we can continue sharing the good work of organizations and nonprofits. You can find this podcast on all major streaming platforms and on our website. Thanks for listening and join us next time on the Be Electric podcast. In everything, be electric.